So over the past few weeks, I think we have we have been trying to encourage ourselves out of a third wave of discouragement. Um, we have been working at pulling ourselves up at our bootstraps, even though that's not physically possible. Um, and so I think two weeks back, if we recall, Craig has reminded us again to stop for the one and the value of that. And then last week we were able to celebrate baptisms with the Buckle family. And that was amazing just to be part of that, that celebration and to hear the testimonies of young believers coming into the kingdom. So that was totally awesome. So this morning I'd like us to meditate on something that I've actually been confronted with um, for the last few weeks. Um, you know, when we stop for the one or when we stop for the many, which I think is equally important, we sometimes feel that we don't have an adequate response. Um, we sometimes feel in those moments that we don't know what to say. It feels like the words evade us. And I've, I've actually noticed this quite distinctly when we've had opportunities as believers to pray together. Um, you know, when we, when, we, when we come together in those moments when we pray, I've noticed that those long silences have become more prevalent. And I think we have been struggling to find the words that would aptly communicate how we feel during this season. And so I think for some of us, even though there are um, valley moments and hilltop moments, I think that for some believers there's still this sense of stuckness, even as we engage in prayer during this season. Now when we read through scripture, we see that this is not an uncommon feeling. Um, in Psalm 5, we see that even David felt like this. Even David felt this stuckness in his prayer life. And he writes about it in Psalm 5. This is what the first three verses say. David says, Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God. For to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. So David, in those few verses, is effectively describing, I think, how he struggles to pray at some times. To the extent that even as he says there, in the, when he does his morning sacrifice, he would only be able to sit and watch. And so I would imagine that some of us here are able to relate to this experience. You know, where you desperately find yourself wanting to communicate with God, but you just can't make any sense. And like David, all you can do is groan. You know what you want, but you can't find the words to communicate it. And I think that is how David is describing his prayer time in this psalm. He uses words such as groaning and cry to describe his efforts to speak with the Lord. 
And he's filled with emotion in that moment. It's not a dry moment for him. He's filled with emotion, but he struggles to be able to express it. Yet he pleads with the Lord. He says to the Lord, give ear, give attention and hear the cry of my voice, as David says. The, the great Baptist um, preacher Charles Spurgeon wrote, There are two types of prayers, those expressed in words and the unspoken longings of silent meditation. Words are not the essence, but the garments of prayer. And so this morning I, I would like us to explore a question that actually arises out of this feeling, out of this emotion. Um, and the question is this. Where is the Holy Spirit when we struggle in prayer? What is the Holy Spirit up to in those seasons, in those moments of our lives when we suffer and there's real hardship and disappointment and difficulty in our lives? Because after all, the Holy Spirit is our helper. The Holy Spirit is our comforter, the paraclete who comes alongside us, who has been sent by Jesus. And so we're going to read, if you've got your Bible, you can grab your Bible. We're going to read a very familiar passage, I think, that addresses that question in some way. And I believe we will find value in trying to unpack some of the things that are there, even though those verses are quite familiar to us. And I, I don't think that even as we go through it, that um, we'll be able to answer all of our questions but I pray that the Holy Spirit will help us to make some deeper sense of this mystery that is described here. So we're going to read Romans chapter 8, and we'll read verses 18 to 27, a very theologically dense um, portion of Scripture. Because there's a whole lot that's being communicated here in these few verses, but we'll try and follow the stream that focuses on our particular question this morning. So these are the words of Paul. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. 
We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans, and He searches our hearts, knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Amen. Now, for the sake of time, we'll, we'll consider this text under, under three questions. So the first question will be, what is the perspective that this text gives us? Secondly, what does our response mean? And thirdly, how do we draw encouragement today from this? Now, we know that the Apostle Paul wrote um, this letter that we have come to call Romans to a church that he had personally never been to. He'd never been to, to visit this um, group of believers in Rome. And we know from other writings in the New Testament that the church in Rome was busy facing some serious persecution from outside of the church. But they also had some conflict within the church. There were some ethnic tensions between Jewish Christians and non-Jewish Christians within the church. So the context that Paul writes into here is, is quite an interest, interesting and diverse context. Now in these verses that we read, Paul teaches about the context of the present suffering being experienced by believers. He speaks about the hardship the disappointment of the season, and he gives bearings to that in the framework of eternity. In verse 18, we see that Paul addresses the suffering that is being faced. But it doesn't just talk about the suffering that we as people face and the glory that we will experience in the future. He also talks about the suffering that the non-human created realm experiences, what we call nature. He describes our suffering as real, and our suffering should not be ignored, but that we have to put it into the right perspective. We have to put it into the right context. It needs to be viewed in the context, in the perspective of a bigger storyline of where our lives and where all of creation is going because of Jesus. And so here's the first point. He describes the process of how creation got to be in the place that it is. And as we know, it all started with God making this world that he declares to be good. And he says that seven times. And so the world is really good. And this good world that we live in was put under the management, under the stewardship of these very unique beings who have been themselves created in the Creator's image and made to reflect the Creator's image in the Creator's creation. And then what these created beings have done is that they've given in to the temptation of evil so that they could define good and evil for themselves apart from God. And this action by human beings has then dragged all of creation into a time of suffering, 
not by its own choice. And so for now, Paul describes that creation is in bondage to decay in verse 21. I think in our South African context, we have this history of slavery, and so we know how the selfish actions of one can have such a negative, long-standing influence on someone else that even affects them into the generations that follow. And so Paul describes here how all of creation is caught in this continuous cycle of death and decomposition. But it's also important to note how wonderful it is to see how nature's life-giving quality continually seeks to re-establish itself, bringing new life out of death. We are in spring right now, and we are witnessing that firsthand. And so I see as I move around Pinelands, I see lots of people working in their gardens. And what most people do is they will take fertilizer, which is in fact something that has decomposed, that is rotting in a sense that gets used to bring about new life. But yet we see that we are always mindful that everything in nature wears down and it dies after time. And so nature has in a sense become a realm of pain and suffering. And so as Paul writes, he says, it has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth. There seems to be this relentless pain that comes from first all the way to last as things decay in God's created realm. And it seems like there's in this creation, in this creation of God, no experience that is left untainted by pain, even if it's only the pain of knowing that even a pleasant experience cannot last. And it's not only nature that groans. We also groan. While we long for the completion of God's work of salvation, I think this idea of groaning is something that has over the past months grown. And I think it has to do with the grief that we are suffering even as we navigate this season. Earlier on in the week I read this article about something that has come to the fore during the, the, the last few months called prolonged grief disorder, also known as complex or complicated grief. And apparently it is characterized by a persistent yearning for, expressed in preoccupying thoughts and memories of a loss that has been suffered, as well as emotional pain that causes impairment even in everyday activities. The article describes how the pandemic has changed the experience of death for people across the world by changing the way terminally ill patients are being cared for, by changing the way bodies are buried, by changing what 
bereavement rituals can be performed, etc. All of these things simply because of social distancing restrictions. And then there are other pressures that are associated, this article mentions, such as financial instability, unemployment, schooling complications, lack of socialing activities, etc., etc. And all of these have further disrupted our normal grieving process. This process of one loss after the other has left us without the emotional the physical, the mental, even the spiritual capacity to deal with this compounded loss. And so as we are not used to this kind of compounded grief, we struggle to describe it. We don't have the words for it, let alone, I think, comprehensively deal with it. But what is our response to all of this? What does groaning mean? And that's our second point. I think it's interesting to note that as we read, we see that it is not only creation that groans, as, as the text mentions. It is also us who groans, but also the Holy Spirit who intercedes for us with groans. So there's a whole lot of groaning going on in this passage. And as I read through this, I ask myself, what is all of this language of groaning about? You know, I think we might groan if we get injured. I think that's a natural um, expression. Or when we complain about something, there's a groan that comes along with that. But I think using groaning as a language to communicate is something that's kind of unusual. And I think from a Western perspective... Communicating through groans might actually sound strange. You know, I think um, in our Western culture, there's an emphasis placed on communicating with words particularly. You know, especially when we are upset. So we'll kind of, when, when our child is upset, we'll say to them, use your words <laughs> to communicate how you are feeling. However, this idea of groaning in biblical times is something that wasn't unusual. As I mentioned earlier, another example of this can be seen, I think, in the Hebrew understanding of the concept of meditation. The word for meditation in Hebrew is the word hagah, which means to mutter or to moan or groan, it's a, even a growl or this a low noise that gets made. In Isaiah chapter 38, the prophet uses it there um, in an expression which is ehagad kiona, which literally means I moan like a dove. And then in chapter 31 and verse 4, he also uses this word haga to describe the sound that a lion makes when he is standing over his prey. It is this low, growling, groan sound that gets made. And so in Hebrew thought, meditation involves more than just thinking. It involves a low murmur or groan. And I think Paul here 
appears to be tapping into this understanding, this imagery of groaning here in these verses for how we ourselves process and communicate. Scientists tell us that um, animals are able to respond to our emotions. So those of you who have, who have dogs will know that um, if you get angry over a matter around your pet dog, um, even if you're not angry at your dog or your pet for whatever reason, your pet will he'll put his head down low and he'll look up at you with those sorrowful eyes um, because he knows that you are upset. He somehow knows that you are angry even if that anger isn't directed directly at them. Animals, in a sense, are able to read our hearts. They know if we are sad, if we are lonely, um, if we are angry, besides just knowing when they are hungry. They know when we are afraid, and they feel threatened when we feel threatened. Because they know that fear produces irrational behavior. So animals might be one up on us with this. But sometimes our, our longings are so deep that we do not ha know how to express them in words. We can only groan. You know, we, we can't tell someone where it hurts. Because we cannot find the words to express it. People want to be helpful, but people need information to know where and how it hurts if they are to attend to our feelings. But you know, the Holy Spirit doesn't need us to articulate with words, to know how and where it hurts. For the Holy Spirit Understanding how we feel doesn't depend on our body language like it does with our dogs or our pets. And I don't think Paul here is either talking about speaking in or interpreting a language of tongues either. I think Paul is describing something much deeper than that here. Because the Holy Spirit is somehow able to help us in our weakness. He is somehow able to interpret our groans, this language of the heart, and to bring them before the courts of the Father with wordless groans that our Father understands. And finally, our third point, how do we find encouragement in this information? How do we find encouragement in understanding that the Holy Spirit understands us and is himself able to speak for us? In verse 22, Paul describes groaning as in the pains of childbirth. Now, I think most of us here, maybe not the younger ones, know what the journey of pregnancy is like. You know, as the baby grows in mom's womb, there are changes and developments that take place. And so along with these changes and developments come contractions. I think it starts out with Braxton Hicks, and then it slowly starts to progress beyond that. 
Um, and so I think we all are in some way familiar with that. And we all know that as the time draws near to the moment that the mother finally pushes the baby out through the birth canal, the time between those contractions becomes shorter. But the contractions themselves also become more and more intense. And so, as we draw closer to the time that God will birth the fullness of the new creation, the new heavens and the new earth, there are going to be contractions. And these contractions will bring pain and they will bring discomfort. And we will struggle to find the words during these moments of contraction. I think like any mother is able to tell us. And so Paul gives us this perspective that right now there is in a sense, a sense that we are pregnant. A sense that all of creation is pregnant. And along with this journey of pregnancy comes pain and groaning. And so one of the other things also I think that Paul is saying here, if we read between the lines, is hold on. Don't give up. Even in those moments when you think you are not able to make sense of the moment. Even in those moments when you think you're not making sense in prayer, don't worry. The Holy Spirit understands. The time is coming when our complete liberation from death and decay and injustice will be birthed, will be born, and then all of the pain is forgotten. Any mother can tell you, in that moment when she looks at this newborn, the pain is forgotten. And in that moment, there is fullness of joy. There is relief and celebration. And so in closing, I think in these few verses, Paul invites us to see that that moment of feeling God's absence is actually one of the most profound experiences of God's presence with us that we might ever have. Because the Spirit is not actually a million miles away. The Spirit is not far away. The Spirit is right there, present with us. Helping us in our weakness, interceding on our behalf with wordless groans when we don't have the words. As we close, I'd like us just to take a moment, a minute or two, just to spend in silence, in quietness, and just to prayerfully bring before the Lord something that is upon your heart. We are so aware that there is so much filling our minds, so many concerns that we have. And so as you take a moment just to, to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit in leading you.
allow yourself to be led. And if you don't have the words, rely on the Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you that you never leave us nor forsake us. We thank you that you are always there, that you are always present. Even in those moments when we feel like you are far away, we thank you that you tell us that you never are far away, that you are right there. And so, Lord, as we continue to meander through this season with its valleys and hilltops, we ask that you would always remind us that you are close by. Work through us to also remind others that you are close by. Lord, we thank you for this time that we could have spent fellowshipping with one another, singing praises to your name, hearing you speak to us. Even as we leave from here today, we ask that that spirit of praise would remain in us because we eagerly desire to see your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.